I've wanted to intro an episode by saying this for years. It's time to duel! Welcome back to Motorsport 101. I've waited six years for this day. <laughs> Finally, I can say that it makes sense. Uh, welcome, Drugs. Welcome to episode 340 of Motorsport 101. I'm Dre Harrison, and I'm here for a podcast all about your favourite children's card game. No, wait, sorry. It's actually about Formula E's season opener in Diria. Um, yeah, the new motorsport season as we know it on this show has started. Welcome to 2022, everybody. It's uh, it was it was a fun time for all involved, sort of. We'll cover that over with Formula E as we get going. But first, let's go around the horn. With me, as always, RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. Um, I would like to take this opportunity to play uh, Pot of Greed. Uh, this allows me to make two show intros um, that tie in Yu-Gi-Oh references. Wait, this is a Starbucks gift card. Oh, easy mistake. <laughs> I keep my intro privileges. Beautiful, beautiful. We love to see it. And with me again is Iron King. Hello, sir. Yeah, glad glad to be here. Uh, it is. Uh, <laughs> it's it's certainly been an off season. It feels like the motorsport never stops. The motorsport doesn't stop stopping. Yeah, <laughs> we've like. <laughs> It never really, given that our last season didn't end until the literal middle of December, <laughs> like, and then Christmas was straight away, and then we're back racing again with Formula E at the end of January. It's like, did we ever actually stop? Like, then, like, especially with all the social media discourse and all of that shit, you know, it's 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 like we never really stopped, but here we are. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll soldier on as always, but. As said, this is going to be about the Formula E doubleheader in Diria and a lot of the action involved. We'll talk about the new qualifying format. Now we've actually seen it in action. We'll give our full thoughts on that as well. We'll talk about a dangling Alex Sims car on a crane. Again, there is some context here, I promise. Um, we'll be also talking about a little bit about the strength of the field and the entertainment factor of Formula E, which we're all sitting here thinking, hang on a minute. This was actually pretty calm. This is not like Formula E. What happened? Uh, so we'll try and break all of that down over the next few minutes or so. But places you can find us in the meantime are on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. just want to say a, a big shout out and thank you to everyone who watched our Rolex 24 trio of, of live streams and hangouts last week. Um, over 3,000 of you did that. So thank you. That's uh, That was awesome. It was, it was great. It was great fun. Fantastic race. And if you watch part three in particular, we go ape shit over the finish. It was, uh, it was wonderful. Um, so do check that out if you haven't already. Um, we're on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter, Motorsport underscore 101. Uh, our website, Motorsport101.com for all of our blogs, podcasts, and extra content as well on there as well as our Instagram page at motorsport101pod you can follow us on there and if you really like us you can back us financially on Patreon all the details over there patreon.com forward slash motorsport101 so with all that in mind let's get cracking into the double ethereum my predictions were were very bold uh, some would say even too bold um, but it's still a long season. Let's let's talk about this dual format. I think a lot was 
made about it, but mm. now that we've seen it in action, w- what do you think? Well, it was... It was cert- we certainly had... Up- we, had- we had peaks and valleys, like with any teething problems that come with a new format. There was some hilarity. We had Antonio Felix da Costa literally botching a duel by missing his pit exit. You just can't make this up. It was wonderful. And the Costa seemed to blame everybody else except the fact he just missed looking at the pit exit light screen at the bottom of the, the bottom of the road. That was that was quite funny. Um, you know, it, we did get a dramatic ending in the race two duel as well, the final where we had um, Altara um, just beaten to the post by Nick DeFries by five thousandth. That was pretty cool. But my general vibe that I got off the whole thing was. It's definitely better than what it was. Like, seeing it in real time, I think it served its purpose. I mean, I can't. it's hard to say for sure because we're only one weekend in. We haven't really, really got a competitive grasp on the field just yet. It's a little early days. But it seems to me like it's done a decent job of putting the better cars at front, which I guess is what the series wanted, I, I, I guess. I mean... I, I'm not sure this is going to be the net positive overall that a lot of people might think it is, but I think it ironed out the biggest issue, which was the competitive balance of the series, at least. I mean, what what did you make of it, King? I, I'd say that, like, first, it's there. Any of the issues that you know people might have had with it kind of go out the window when you realize that like you know with the the less talked about group stage before the duels 12 minutes long with half mm. the field out on track it's you have ample opportunity to set a competitive lap time and have a chance to advance through which is the biggest issue that people had with the prior format yeah uh once you get to the duels there are some issues where the gap between duels are just really long, and uh, it seems like the production crew don't know how to fill the space in between the duels. Uh, that causes issues. And there was one moment during the uh, the Friday quali- qualifying session where, during the final, they trialed out something where it's like, oh, uh, we're going to delay the footage of the first car out on track to make it seem like they're both going around the track at the same time. And it immediately collapsed. And, uh, and Jack Nichols had to explain, it's like, this is what we're trying to do to make it seem like they're side by side. But obviously with, you know, each of the two cars, not setting the same exact lap lap time, they're not going to be going around the track at the same time. And you try to explain that you're spending most of the lap trying to explain what's happening with the broadcast feed and not what's actually happening out on track. And they immediately scrapped it for the second round. I was happy to see that. But there some uh besides those small nagging issues, it seems to they seem to do exactly what they aimed at doing with this new format, whether it produces what what we want overall in terms of a product and how it might affect the other session, the race that we'll get to that later. Mm, yeah. mm. I large, what do you reckon I, I didn't have a chance to watch these live as they were happening, unfortunately, but I find it hard not to just agree with y'all that, you know, ultimately 
this new format did what people wanted, um, which is, I think, not punish the best teams with an unfavorable qualifying draw on a dirty track. I think that would have worked. I think that format that we had before, it worked when I guess the field wasn't so close and then everybody got bunched up together last season and then it became basically a lottery where you don't want group one. I think we can all agree this is better before, but I, I piggyback up Dre's comment that, you know, if anything, the the duels could be tightened up. Like, you actually went back and watched this and you counted, like, I think it was like six minutes in between qualifying duels on average? Um, Yeah, it was something in the region of four to five minutes. Like, there were some that were as bad as six or seven, and that's a lot of dead space um, on a broadcast. And I don't envy... Like, like it's like the 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 way that a lot of sports broadcasters earn their salt is uh, what happens when you've got to time fill. That's never an easy situation for anyone, um, and it's like it, it, it's it's never the easiest of watch when you're sitting there and the commentators themselves and the production crew don't quite know how to fill that time, um, and it it did drag a little bit, um, and it's a shame because. I think the duels themselves were decent, and I think actually watching them in real time, it was fine. It was it was perfectly serviceable. Um, I just feel like the dead time in between rounds are, you know, a bit too much. I mean, obviously, in some cases, it kind of has to happen, like from a semi-final two to the final, because you're running the same car back around again. Those are acceptable. That I can live with. But some like those in round sort of quarterfinals for example where like there was no good reason to have like a five or six minute delay between quarterfinals i thought that was a bit rough to say the least whoop my apologies i thought my internet had a bit of a spasm attack there for a second um do you want me to go for my second answer on the top just to make it a bit easier hmm? yeah yeah, probably for the best. Um, yeah, like I said, on on average, I, I think it was about four to five minutes per qualifying gap in between duels themselves. Now, in some cases, that's understandable because sometimes, like, for example, semi-final two to the final, the same car's running in both events. So there's going to be an end around that has to happen, which is completely understandable. Um, but, like... There should not be six minutes between a duel in the quarterfinal stage. That's a lot of dead space. Yeah. Um, At this point, you're and... better off just cutting a commercial. Yeah. Like, advertise, and... advertise some of the series' partners or something. Don't make Jack and Dario have to do awkward improv for six minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's never ideal. Like sitting there just taking barbs at each other. Like that, that, that. It's hard to fill time in those sorts of instances again and again in a qualifying session. And, and the whole broadcast on YouTube is an hour forty-five for a qualifying session. I think that's a bit much. Um, it, it is available on YouTube, which is uh, certainly. Whoops, my phone's on silent there. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's 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 not ideal from a viewership standpoint and from an entertainment standpoint. I think. There are some issues there, certainly. But I still certainly think it's better than what we had. Yeah. Um, right, so next interesting scenario we had was at the end of race two. Um, the end of race two, uh, we had an incident with Alexander Sips. He had crashed at turn five. 
he had uh, put the car in the wall. Uh, car was damaged to the point where it could no longer continue. Um, there was a safety car deployed. Um, it was pretty awkward in the sense of the drivers did not know there was going to be a recovery tractor in that part of the track. So the safety car had to bunch up and then obviously everybody else had the concertina off the back of that. It wasn't ideal. Uh, we also had Sim's car being lifted quite close to the group of the, the group of the safety cars passing around it. Um, it, it was an interesting perspective to watch, but and there was a lot of reaction on social media to it. I said, with that in mind, was this an avoidably dangerous handling of Sims' retirement? Because uh, I, this did not go over well. I cannot disagree with this premise. I think it was dangerous and unnecessary. I really think that we should have had a red flag to suspend this race. It would have given us time for Sims' car to be cleared off the track in a safe manner. Because, yeah, people were right to be worried to see Sim's car dangling at about eye level with the other cars that are circulating on track. Like, we had traffic jams. We had people bumping into one another when the traffic checked up. That's not good. I think, like, obviously, like, having that race end under a safety car, you know, that's... It's an anticlimax, but it's whatever. I, I think I'm more bothered, and I know... I'm pretty sure y'all would agree with me that, like, yeah, this this situation with Sim's car just being carried off by heavy machinery while we have cars circulating that close to it, uh, that's the more pressing issue, I think, especially of our generation. Uh, the 2014 Japanese Grand Prix has kind of etched into our, uh, into our minds the dangers of cars circulating at speed while there's heavy equipment on track trying to extricate other cars. You shudder to think of Slim's car and some car somehow slipped off of the crane. Mm. Well, I I think I think the reaction was a bit exaggerated. And like RJ, you say yourself, the car was at eye level. There's no one drove under the car. It was impossible to drive under Sims's car. I get you. I, I get you. And and, and I'm it's, interested. It's like, yeah. And no one was going at racing speed trying to catch the safety car queue. Everyone was lined up behind the safety car. Like, from the standpoint I'm more annoyed by is, again, the race ending under red, like, the race ending behind the safety car. Well, technically, no, because for some reason they decided, oh, we're going to go green for the last corner. Uh, and that doesn't really count. If, if you withdraw the safety car just as they're about to check the check the flag, that shouldn't count. Yeah, yeah, like, that shouldn't have happened. The fact that they've done everything to try to keep the race going and circulating, that, to me, is the bigger issue. They should have just, like you said, had the red flag. Do I think it was overly dangerous? Probably no. Like, I'm kind of in two minds on this one. I say that because, like, the TV camera angles were not flattering when this happened. And that's probably part of the problem here. Um, and a lot of people just screen grabbed it and they took that ball and they ran with it, which is not ideal at all. Um, so, you know, it, it probably looked worse on TV than it actually was, which is probably, you know, is not exactly helpful as it is. Um 
look, a tractor was inevitable on the track. The car was put was in a really awkward spot. It's a narrow track in the first place. Um, you know, there's no getting around that. You know, it's it was always going to be a difficult situation. But I, I, it's it's like, is there been an overall directive in the FIA that like red flags are now like literally only pull out a red flag with no better option? Like because it just seems like. The sport's more reluctant to pull a red flag now for a race. Am I crazy for thinking is, this? And the thing is, even if they did throw a red flag, the drivers would have the drivers would have to go around the tractor to get to pit lane. Like there was yeah. never a situation where they wouldn't have to drive around it. Hmm. Mm. And yeah, like I'm going to piggyback off King a little bit here in the sense of yeah, like I can't help but agree. Having them run behind that safety car for. I think it was the final roughly eight minutes of that race um, when they could have red flagged it, stopped the clock. Um, you know, if you wanted to add a certain amount of time or whatever to make the cars I still have to worry about their energy a little bit as they're coming over the line, so be it. But we could have still had a green flag finish here quite easily that the sport just chose not to. Um, and that, you know, I felt, was a missed opportunity. Um, well, no I, one I really. They, they they didn't choose not to. Based on comments made by Scott Elkins to friend of the show Hazel Southwell after the race, hey. was that it uh, that the recovery took longer than expected. Right. You know, um, I could make a I could make a point about how um, how track workers, especially corner marshals. You know, they volunteer their time and their effort and, and their livelihood for this. And, and maybe they should be uh, fairly compensated for their efforts and better trained as a result. But no, say. Yeah. Motorsport is not ready for those conversations on, on a large <laughs> scale. Unfortunately, we're not, we're not ready for the conversations like, oh, we should pay people for their for their time and effort and not just, oh, we're just gonna celebrate them for sacrificing their time and effort. Like that's that's just compensation. I I know, and it sounds really stupid me saying that, but you know I'm right here. <laughs> like it's like oh, it's so stupid. But here we are. I mean, yeah, I get the un like I I know Scott Elkins was not in an easy situation here. Yes, I'm having sympathy for a race director. Suck on that internet. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was not an easy situation from day one. And I know on the and I know a lot of the drivers like Jev was obviously like greatly concerned about how things were unfolded. Robin Friends was greatly concerned about the way things unfolded as well. Mm. Um, so from the driver's perspective, I think there there was like. I don't know if it was just like, you know, that driving mindset of like constantly being worried that something would go wrong. Um, but it, it's it's really fascinating. I do think for a lot of reasons it could have been handled a lot better. But, you know, mm. here's hoping that it's the worst of it. We're past the worst of it. We hope. We hope. We hope. I mean, yeah, the series needs all the help it can get in the land of uh, internet approval, which amazingly it actually did get because it actually finished under a safety car. Uh, you know, no, no, no F1F reference here whatsoever. Honest. No, never. Um, but yeah, um, not an ideal situation, but 
you know, could have been handled better, could have been handled worse, etc. We'll, we'll, we'll call it a wash on that one. So we're now two races into the season. You know, we've had a doubleheader, um, you know, both slightly different. We had more attack mode in race two. Um, and we had Mercedes powertrain car split both wins. We had a one-two from the factory team in race one, which was hilarious for anyone that was new to the series. Yes, Motorsport is a funny old bag. You you put 22 cars around the track, they go around in circles, and in the end, Mercedes wins, etc. <laughs> and then race two, we had uh, Venturi uh, come through. We've had a Mortara after that late safety car. So now we have a little bit of a flavor of the state of play in the field. Did the actual strength of Mercedes surprise you? And if not, who did? Oh, it's a situation where... Without a doubt, Mercedes are the fastest team. Whether it'll carry over to the other circuits, we'll wait and see. But two races is uh, a bit of a worry when they won both races and they also won poles for both of the races. Uh, I'd assume other teams to be closer to them. I I was surprised that uh, Tachita, despite them doing fairly well in qualifying, mm. just spent most of the race just slowly falling back. Yeah, like there's some mitigating circumstances here. Like they did fall back, and Merck's still operationally were a little bit clumsy. Stoffel Van Dorn made that mistake in in race one where he missed his attack mode window, which is just ooh, that's a that was a silly error. But didn't cost the team anything because they still finished first and second. But as a driver, obviously that was that must have been a bit pissy. And then Nick DeFries just wasn't on it in race two. Um, I think they tried a something different strategically with having the attack mode later and later on in the race for their second attack mode and it just didn't work um i was a little bit surprised about venturi personally i didn't think that you know testing is always a weird thing to take too much stock into but they tested valencia we don't we're not racing at valencia this year and for obvious reasons we all saw it last year valencia was not your conventional formula retrack so you're always, it's always a little bit of a raised eyebrow when you look at testing with Formula E because that's not really representative. But um it's yeah, it's I felt like Venturi was actually surprisingly good. Um and yeah, uh, I actually want to give a shout out to Oliver Askew as well. He ended up being pretty solid in that sense yeah. as well. RJ, I'm sure you can follow up on I that. wanna I wanna launch into that because uh the rookies had really tough races. We knew Antonio Giovinazzi was struggling in testing, but you don't think that a recent Formula One driver is going to struggle that much to finish in the 20s in both of his first two races. Like, but with that said, and I know Oliver Askew has better equipment underneath him than does Giovinazzi or Dan Tictum, uh, but to go from 17th to 9th in race one, very solid drive during race one for Askew. I mean, he's very new with this. Regardless of equipment, that's impressive considering what Tictum did in race one, where he uh, ended up going right into the side of uh, a former champion in turn it's one. Only to Costa. Yeah, I mean, we didn't even mention like the RG bargy between Oliver Rowland and Robin Friends. We have Formula Renault three point five sure. champion on champion violence happening in the first race of the season and uh friends admitted like hey i was sick of this dude racing me like this so i i i basically i turned him damn 
Um, That's not something you'd hear in NASCAR. I was just so frustrated that I was just done. I just turned. Um, I, I know it wasn't worded exactly like that, but friends did basically admit to like, yeah, I wasn't giving him much space. Um, Cam is not here, but I need to appeal on behalf of his Porsche, Porsche Formula E team. They showed signs of looking like a better team, like a Porsche team that has actually earned their stripes because Andre Lauderer, who last year uh, would not hesitate to shove his car into a gap that wasn't there, showed a little more discretion. And Pascal Verlein, um, he looked a little more assertive when he needed to be. He was making on-track overtakes around cars at competitive speed. He was looking good. They didn't get the results they needed in the first race because of energy management issues, but in race two, they look much better, and I think that first win is coming if they just performed like that going forward. Uh, yeah. Those were the things that really impressed me. Because it, it feels like, I know we talked about this in season preview, but it, it's actually showing up on track where Porsche look like they're actually improving. It is fantastic. I was also kind of surprised that Nissan are still... Uh, Nissan didn't come away with any points. They need to be better than Real this. Sorry about that, fellas. My phone went off about five times there from one of my bosses calling me about that. I was like, all right, fine. Let me just take the effing call. Um, I always tell them I might have up on Wednesday nights, but I guess it was urgent. Um, where are we at? Sorry, because obviously I wasn't... I've, I've <laughs> talked about how Oliver Askew did really well for Rookie and that Porsche are actually showing signs of improvement. And also, uh, what the heck happened to Nissan Edams? I knew they were. I knew they were struggling in testing. I had no idea that they would just stay this bad. It's like they're still recovering from the rule change that affected them badly last year. It's really peculiar that they just. Have it's like they're still to... recovering from Carlos Ghosn being shipped out of Japan in a box. <laughs> Carlos Ghosn do crime. Uh, then, now, forever. It's very bizarre that they were absolutely nowhere all weekend. Um, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Askew as well because uh, that was that was one that was very impressive. Um, and, and for his teammate Jake Dennis, because again, I was not I was not sure on where Avalanche would sit uh, amongst the field post BMW, but it looks like Dennis's form of last year was no fluke. He was one of the few guys that was able to genuinely break away from those really you know tight jams and you know the traffic jams that we've seen in Diria before. And uh, that, that that sort of tight sort of racing that Formula E is known for, he was actually able to pass a lot of them and break off, which is a good sign, a, a good sign for where they're, they're at going forward. And yeah, I can only echo King's sentiments as well. DSGT, I thought they'd be a bit better than that over the course of the year, just not seemingly getting it together in race trim. And Acosta apparently being taken out by Dan Tiptum in the back during one of those races, which is one of those drawbacks. Yeah, we talked about that too. We also talked mm -hmm. about how Friends and Roland got into it in the first race. <laughs> I love that, like, we had a bit of elbow rubbing from Friends and, and Roland, and then Friends went a whole step. He went for the bump and run as, as, as a response. And yeah, I'm glad. I, I know the stewards have talked this year about. Um, more aggressive penalties, um, and that was a clear bump and run, and he was given a drive-through penalty for it, which I think was absolutely the right call. Roland got a free-place grid drop for his role in that. I think they actually got that spot on, and I think they were 
pretty spot on over both races, to be honest. Um, in general, I think they were pretty good. Um, gauging the line between this is just the nature of Formula E because you're going to be more aggressive because of the way the cars are and the speeds are, and this is a clear penalty. Um, so yeah, I'm overall, you know, that that was that's how I call it, call it anyway. But uh, speaking of entertainment value, I mean. Now we've had a weekend of action as well. I mean, how entertained were you by the weekend as as a whole with with everything considered? I was generally entertained. Um, I think this weekend passed the test for what people wanted more out of Formula E last year, which was a return to sanity. They wanted better driving standards, which apart from those incidents in race one, we got that. Uh, mm. people that I know have said that they hesitate to watch Formula or don't watch it because the drivers treat this like bumper cars. And from what I saw, um, everybody raced each other a lot more respectfully. I know, um, I hope that continues into the ongoing rounds. And this format, as we mentioned, rewarded the teams and drivers that executed their race weekends the best. I know it is early days, but one thing that I hope is that we haven't swung the pendulum too far away from the sort of unpredictability that Formula E is used to. And don't get me wrong, I, I don't think we want uh, farces like Valencia and Puebla to happen on a regular basis, but I also hope that in making all these changes that they haven't done too much to appease the people that never would have had a positive opinion about Formula E anyway. Um, we'll see. We'll see. But if it does turn into a Mercedes Venturi duopoly uh, all the way through the season, well, hey, you wanted this to be um, more of a meritocracy, and I guess you would get it then. Hope for the best. What do you reckon? Yeah, I like I'm sort of in the, I'm sort of in the camp where it's like it's it's not terrible, but it's it's not great. And there were there are definitely flashes of like really great wheel to wheel action, like mm. uh Degrassi versus uh like Degrassi versus DeVries up front, where mm, it was it was real wheel to wheel wheel to wheel chaos that we're used to but it didn't get too aggressive and it allowed, you know, an opportunity for Edo Martara to uh, get around both of them for the lead, and yeah, that was great. And I, I think that's that's what Formula E is about. And I I don't want to end up in a situation where uh, like the way that maybe qualifying's too fair and that it allows the field to be lined up in competitive order before we even start the race, so no one really has to drive through the field. And sure, energy management and uh, attack mode activations do help shake things up, but you don't want uh, you don't want to end up in a situation where it gets too processional. Yeah, um, it's it's a little bit of swings and roundabouts. I'm I'm in a similar camp to you, King, on this one. It's like. I I worried about the processions that are in there. Some of those cues that we got in both races where the action was just kind of in a stalemate situation. I know that a lot of that is energy saving and the tactics that come with that. Um, but let's be honest. If, you're, if you've watched Formula E for the long run, like a lot of us have, um, we've been bred on a healthy diet of chaos. 
Um, <laughs> let, like, let's be honest with each other here. When we kind of... That's probably why we're still here, because we enjoy the, the degree of chaos that comes with this series. This was a very calm pair of races, relatively speaking, for what we expect for Formula E. Like... They, I had them as a solid 6 out of 10. They were solid races. They never tipped over into that sort of chaotic realm that we know the series for. But they were never really stale or boring either. We always had just enough action to keep you on tick over. It never reached that massive like euphoric ending that we got at Rolex, for example. But mm, I don't know if I want an entire season of this. <laughs> I'd, say, I'd say a reason why I say, you know, somewhat hold out hope maybe doesn't carry on for the rest of the season but there were a lot of variables that made it somewhat processional that outside of the norm like this track being uh very dusty a lot of yeah. sand offline where mm. it's like if, if you really wanted to go offline and try to get around someone you were taking a big risk yeah yeah and first two rounds of the year you're probably not taking those sorts of gambles you might do say if it was a season finale for example where or a title might be on the line which hey it might be down the road we'll have to see um so yeah it's I, I'm, I'm kind of with rj on this one in the sense of i hope they've not gone too far the other way because the risk is with this qualifying format if you have made it fair and you have put the best cars at the front every race you risk taking some of that entertainment away. It's like when RJ talked about Brazil's sprint race last year in Formula 1. Lewis Hamilton single-handedly made the case for reverse grids in F1. And we loved that shit. Um, so, you know, there isn't... One of my favorite Formula E races ever was... Remember when we used to race with Sebastian Buemi when he was at the old blue in Edams and he he went from the back to the front? And you can't say that wasn't entertaining. Like uh, so, that's when Edams were good. Ah, oh, the good old days, the good old days when Bremi ran the field over. Um, but that's what I fear might happen. But I hope I'm proven wrong. And I, obviously, again, it's still very early days. We've got 14 races to go in this season. Um, so hopefully it's we get a bit more variety. Because after all, it's the spice of life. And we're going to um, figure this out in a couple of weeks because uh, the Mexico City Epri is on the 12th mm. of February at the... Little Autodroma Hermanos Rodriguez. It's the same the, Autodroma Hermanos Rodriguez, just a shorter layout, you know. Yes. Adios Puebla. Yes, the oh, uh, the baby version and uh, rest in peace Puebla. Um, but yeah, uh, hopefully that will be a bit more uh, a bit more interesting in terms of variety when it came to four memories. They'll be back in a couple of weeks' time for that. So yeah, uh, that was that was us from Deria. That was a decent time for all involved, but it, it might have actually left us with more questions than answers, which is weird for Formula E, but also really not weird at the same time. There you go. A bit of profoundness from me before we is get out of here. Is there anything stronger in Formula E other than the fan boost clout of having recently been displaced from Formula One? Answers on a question. <laughs> and answers on a postcard, please. Well... <laughs> No, because any time any time you're about to leave F1, David Croft pretty much gives you an obituary. <laughs> <laughs> he does. Like, we're going to list all of Antonio Giovinazzi's career achievements in F1 for Alfa Romeo during the Abu Dhabi race. You know, it's his 120th Grand Prix. He had that great 10th place that one time, you know. 
But what a, what a lovely guy he is as well. You know, look at his, look at his hair. It's great. It's lovely. Yeah. I swear, if I, if I ever run for political office, I'm going to, like, pretend that I'm retiring from F1. Just so, like, I need that. I need that David Croft eulogy bonus. <laughs> like, it's like as King's announcing his leaving speech, we've got David Croft just comes in from the background with a microphone and starts you know, that's, prob- that's probably an even stronger endorsement than one from Barack Obama at this point. Right! <laughs> the David Croft eulogy. There we go. See, we ended on a positive note. Because, so to play us out here, here's David Croft running down King's career accomplishments. Yeah, he used to write for Geelong. It was, it was a great time. Yeah, it was a, it wrote some great pieces about freeway crashes and, and Formula One endings. And, you know, he talked about that time Michael Massey was able to godmore to finish. He gets to the full speech over on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. The bonus segment on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. Uh, if you want some extra endorsements from King, you can do so on his Twitter account at Ryan Eric King, alongside mine at Harrison101HD and at RJ O'Connell. We'll put the full written version on our website at motorsport101.com. We'll put like the screenshot version, like Tom Brady's um, retirement speech yesterday. Um, we'll and it's 115 endorsements from around the sports world on our Instagram at Motorsport 101 Port. And if you really, really liked it, we'll give you the X-rated version on Patreon at <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. I'm actually quite proud of that leaving speech because that's the most I think I've ever had King laugh on a podcast, and I've done. F- over 300 of these. It's also RJ's 250th show, so shout out to Jason for pointing that out as well. So, happy 250, RJ. Congrats, buddy. Uh, we love a, you is here. Is this part where I start taking... Wait, are we doing the X-rated outro for this yet? Yeah, sure, we, why not? Just hold okay. it up. Let well, me get David Croft. He's in a swimsuit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks for watching, everybody. We'll see you in a couple of weeks' time for Mexico. I'm Andre Harrison. Sayonara. That no, where's the baby oil? <laughs> hey, hey, King. I think now it's finally time to start counting out touchdown, Tom. Finally. I'm a New England fan, and I'm like, thank God for that. <laughs> oh man, the reign of terror is over. Now the Jets can live. Psych. <laughs> Oh my god.